You're listening to The World Is Just A Book Away podcast. I'm James Owens, founder and CEO of The World Is Just A Book Away, a nonprofit organization on a mission to promote literacy and education by developing libraries and programs in disadvantaged communities around the world. For more information about The World Is Just A Book Away, please visit www.wejaba.org. That's W-I-J-A-B-A dot org. My guest today on The World Is Just A Book Away podcast is Brian Chung. Brian co-founded Alabaster Co. in 2016 to visually reimagine the way the Bible is presented and printed. Since its launch, Alabaster has published eight books of the Bible with a team that has grown to five and expected sales in 2019 of more than $1 million. In our conversation, Brian, a former student of mine at USC, discusses his relationship with books, reading, and his spiritual path that led him to co-found Alabaster. He also describes the process of beginning with an idea, launching a Kickstarter campaign, and the importance of understanding that most of what we learn happens as we are on the path of doing. Today, I'm delighted to have Brian Chung with us. Brian is the co-founder of Alabaster, which we'll be learning a bit more about today. And Alabaster has really reconceptualized the way the Bible is printed and presented. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, thanks for being here. And I'll I'll tell the listeners how we're connected. Yep. One one of the things about being a teacher is about being a professor in, is that I'm at USC. I've been there for a long time and I get older every year and my <laughs> students stay the same age. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a it's a very clear marker of you really feel the aging process because the students never get older. So when I Brian was my student in my business writing class at the yeah. USC Marshall School of Business. And uh, I, I had to ask Brian what year he was in my class because I've had several thousand students. I probably am in in touch with maybe 150 or so that I've stayed in touch with. Mm -hmm. And so, Brian, you were in my class in 2009. Yep. And obviously, I had a deep impact on your life from the writing class since you went into publishing, and I'm sure that I played a deep role in that. Of course. <laughs> of course. It's a given, right? Before, before we started the podcast, I asked Brian if he had any questions, and he said, um, yes, I'm used to calling you Professor Owens. Should I call you Professor Owens or James? And I, <laughs> I thought, well, now that you're in your 30s, you can really, you can, you can call me James. I've made it. Finally made it. <laughs> you, you, then you know you've really made it in life, right? Yeah, exactly. Brian, I just, I, I have in front of me the, uh, the copies that Alabaster printed uh, has created of John, the Psalms, and Genesis. Yeah. And I just, I'm really struck by, on the back of each, you have a quote. I'm struck by many things, but on the back of each, you have a quote. But in particular, on the, the back cover of John, mm -hmm. in the beginning, 
the word already existed. Mm -hmm. The word was with God and the word was God, Jesus Christ, which is very moving and and linked to what I've done. The the world is just a book away and the meaning of words. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how you began this adventure from being from getting your bachelor in science at USC in marketing and entrepreneurship to launching this venture, uh, co-launching Alabaster Co. and really repurposing the way the Bible is presented? Yeah. Well, um, again, I'm super excited to be here. I think uh, I've also just been watching you from afar of uh, your journey of the world is just a book away and creating the actual physical book to now this podcast. So it's also been cool, like being in sort of the publishing space together. Um, But a little bit about Alabaster. Um, uh, So a little bit about me. I didn't grow up Christian. I grew up in a Buddhist household. So I went to temple growing up and uh, went to a Catholic middle school and then came to college uh, agnostic. So believing in a God, but not really following any sort of religion at all. And um, I became a Christian after the after my freshman year in college. And I remember getting my first uh, Bible as someone that, uh, you know, didn't grow up Christian. And I was really excited to read it, but also a little intimidated. It was this black, dark purple, leather bound Bible. Um, it was in a more literal translation. The first couple pages were things to fill out. It was about the translation of the Bible, not necessarily, it wasn't the story of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. Um, the text was really small and condensed. Some words were in black, some words were in red. I didn't know why. Um, and on top of that, it was on really, really thin paper. And so, um, it was just unlike any other book that I had experienced. And um, as someone that also was was um, taking a graphic design class at the time, I thought, could this be done differently? And so um, around my room, there were a couple of different books and magazines. And I remember uh, picking up my marketing textbook. And uh, this was my sophomore year in college. And my marketing textbook looked like a magazine. And for the first time, I was excited to read my college textbook. And so um, that sort of inspired what Alabaster is today. And so um, what makes Alabaster different is we weave beautiful imagery and uh, thoughtful design into each book of the Bible. We're thoughtful about negative space. We're thoughtful about the typography. We're thoughtful about the photography and how it um, coincides with um, the scripture. Um, And it's on really nice matte thick paper. And so um, I think for me, someone that, that recently became Christian, I knew that the story of Jesus was beautiful and wanted to create an equally uh, beautiful reading experience. And so um, that's sort of where the idea came from. We didn't, I didn't do anything about the idea until to that. So that was my sophomore year in college, which was in 2007. Um, but it didn't really uh, turn into like an actual business um, until 2016, where we launched Kickstarter. Um we didn't know what we were doing. Uh, we had no money, um, no investor. We just sort of put the idea out on Kickstarter and it just sort of took off. Um, in 2017, we were able to ship our product out. Um, 
and it just got a really good reception. And so from there, we thought, could we could we grow this into a business? And so this is where Alabaster is today. And when you say we, uh, one of the interesting things about this, as I was reading through, incidentally, for our listeners, uh, Alabaster and Co. and Brian has been featured in the Washington Post, Forbes, Vox, L.A. Times, the New York Times, Fox Business, so and more. So this is clearly something that's captured the public's attention. Uh, Brian Chung's co-founder is also named Brian. And just to clarify things, his last name is Yi Chung, correct? That's correct. That's correct. So, so that thankful. What did you say? That was recent. So bef- uh, previously, his name was Brian Chung. <laughs> uh, oh, he, he added the Yi. Yes, yes. He recently got married in February, and he added the Yi in February. Well, that le- lessens confusion because before <laughs> the difference was you're Brian with an I, and he's Brian with a Y. And exactly. Brian Chung. But it's also it's also a fun, sort of a, a fun fact. And you two launched this together in 2016? Yeah, we launched in 2016. We, you know, looking back, we pretty much did everything wrong uh, with how to launch a Kickstarter. So we thought it'd be a good idea to to not really tell anyone about it. So we only told a close group of friends and thought it'd be a better idea to just sort of surprise the world about it. Uh, now looking back, that was a bad idea to to not let you know folks know. But we put it out there. Our friends started sharing it. Uh, within a couple days, uh, the Daily Trojan at USC uh, wanted to write about us. Uh, and then afterwards, another Trojan alumni um, who worked at the Huffington Post um, decided to pick up our story. And I think after that, it just sort of went, it sort of grew larger than what we expected. So our initial goal was to raise $35,000. Um, we raised almost close to double that. Um, and it It was exciting. Um, I think for us, um, I think it sort of validated what what we were trying to do as a company. So um, I think for, so me and the other Brian, we are both artists and creatives. And um, for a while, we've often, uh, we're wondering how does creativity, how does faith fit into the church more than just creating a nice flyer for the church or a nice PowerPoint. And, um, I think we were really inspired by, um, in the past where, uh, art and beauty, uh, was the center of the church. If you think about, uh, the night, beautiful Renaissance paintings, the stained glass windows, um, the beautiful cathedrals, all these beautiful pieces of art that really pointed people to God. Um, and we sort of felt like, throughout the years that sort of just been lost. And as someone, you know, that didn't grow up Christian, I, I looked around and I saw some of the things that were being created that were called quote unquote Christian art. And, uh, to be honest, I thought it was a little cheesy. And so one of my memories was like, I was looking at, you know, Christian clothing and back when MySpace was a thing, um, the t-shirt said, God saved my space in heaven. And, um, I was like, I, that's, that's so bad. I would never wear that. Um, and I think for us as creators and artists, we're like, could we, could we create a beautiful, excellent piece of art that yes, also points people to God, 
um, but also for people who, who aren't religious or aren't Christian, um, where they can say like, hey, like what you've created is actually also a very beautiful product. And we might not necessarily agree with everything that's in the book, but um, we can say like you've created a really stunning product for us. So. And, and I can certainly concur with that. I'm just, I'm looking through Psalms here and Brian, for people who aren't aware with sort of publishing or graphic terms, can you use, you, you said you were very conscious of negative space. Can you exp- explain what you mean by that? Yeah. So, um, when we looked at the, uh, well, first Bibles in general, um, right now, if you open just your, your traditional Bible, um, you will see a bunch of text with uh, two columns, and it's it's basically filled from edge to edge. And so there's there's literally like very small margin between the text and the ed- edge of the paper. And um, as we thought about uh, magazine design, um, you sort of see that a little bit. You have maybe just more uh, images or graphics to sort of fill up the space alongside the text. And as we were creating um, our alabaster Bibles, what we wanted to do was uh, have a little bit more more space uh, for the eye to sort of to rest, to reflect. And so um, there's a lot of white space, so, uh, so space where there is no text, where there is no photography, um, just allowing um, simplicity um, to speak for itself. And um, I think for us, uh, make the reading experience more reflective. And so um, when we think about negative space, that's what we wanted to to do for the reader was create a a more reflective space. Mm. And I think you've you've really achieved that beautifully. How how, um, I don't have a ruler with me. How how big are these books about nine by are they about nine by seven, nine by seven? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. And it's it's very visually appealing. They they the text is either one or two columns, and I'm just in. I'm looking at Psalms, the Book of Psalms, right now, eighty on page one uh, one twenty eight and one twenty nine, and the the images are representational or or abstract. They're not literal. The way you have this beautiful image of a forest on one page or you have a broken candle on another page and someone holding a stick. Tell us a bit about how you create or how you decide these. And and then I, I just turned to page 149, which is in Psalms 92, 93. And there's a picture of an African American man with his hand on a tree and sort of his other hand almost, uh, looking like he's communing with the tree. How, how do you decide on these in these really beautiful images and, and how do you get the images? Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you for noticing that there aren't literal images. And so we wanted to take a more modern approach as we were creating, uh, photography and imagery for our Bible. And so, um, what we, you know, as we studied the text, we wanted to have, um, integrity with what the the passage or the original author had in mind when when writing it and pull out sort of key themes in our creation of the photos. And so what we do is we do sort of an in-depth study of 
um, each book of the Bible. Um, we look at what scholars, um, commentators, and theologians have said about each of the passages, and we try to pull out themes that um, the, t- the modern English reader might um, not see. Um, that, um, so, for example, in the New Testament, uh, most of the New Testament was written in Greek and sort of translated into English. And there are some grammatical structures that one might miss uh, when doing sort of a first read over uh, the Bible. And so, um, so for example, in the book of Mark, you see a story of a woman with an of alabaster flask. And what she did, does is she breaks the pl- flask and she pours the oil, which is in the flask, onto Jesus' feet. Um, a couple lines later, you see Jesus um, having his last meal with his disciples, and he is breaking the bread and pouring out the wine for his disciples. And so there's this repetition of, of breaking and pouring, breaking and pouring, um, that for sort of, yeah, the modern English reader, they might not see. Um, and so what we're trying to do is um, choose imagery to sort of help uh, the reader see that. And so we have an image of someone breaking a flask, um, someone pouring a flask, and then immediately after an image of someone breaking a bread and then pouring the wine, sort of like illustrate that a little bit more. Um, what's also interesting is that as, um, when we first started out, uh, I would say about 99% of the photos were, were, were done by me and the other photographer, Brian. And, um, I usually uh, joke and say that you can guess which ones were Brian's photos and which ones were mine. Um, And so the other Brian, he is a very abstract thinker. And so he thinks through the themes and his ideas are very abstract. I don't even know like how he comes with those ideas. Um, But for me, like my ideas are a little bit more literal. Um, And so uh, we sort of play off each other in terms of how we, we curate we we um, how we come up with the photos um, today. Um, I would say about sixty percent of the photos are still done in house. What we've done um, uh, since two thousand and sixteen is we've built a team of photographers around the world, um, some professional photographers who have uh, shot f- photos for the um, Gates Foundation to Adidas um, to. Uh, some up-and-coming photographers that we just really believe in and we want um, to sort of elevate and and uh, just gain a little bit more exposure. I think one other thing that we think about as we do our photography is uh, we wanted to make sure in terms of uh, uh, who is represented in the Bible is is diverse and inclusive. And so uh, we're really thoughtful about including uh, both men and women, uh, people of multi-ethnicities in our books um, uh, because um, Bibles are rare internationally and not just in the uh, Western society. And we wanted our Bibles to reflect the diversity of the world that we live in. Mm. And and you've clearly done that. And as as you were talking, Brian, I was I was looking through Genesis at some of the images, and on 
page 59, the there 58 and 59, there's a stack of bricks and then bricks sort of floating in the air. And I'm guessing the bricks floating in the air were other Brian. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so I see, I, I see what you mean by the, by the abstract, but really I want to, I want to honor and really repeat again, how, just how beautiful these books are. And I, I watched a video that you were in and you were talking about that they're visually appealing and something people would keep on the on the uh, coffee table, which is something we aspired to also with The World is Just a Book Away, something that's yeah. visually appealing and people would reach for. Um, how many – I didn't know this. I grew up Catholic. Uh, yeah. I didn't grow up really reading the Bible. But in, in one of the uh, articles I have about you – uh, it mentions there are 66 books in the Bible. Is that correct? That's correct. And so that's with um, typically sort of the Protestant uh, tradition. There's about 66. I know in um, the Catholic tradition, there are a couple more uh, books of the Bible. But unfortunately, I don't know that tradition as well. But I do know that there are a couple more books that the Catholic Church does include in their Bibles. And how many of you, how many of you at Alabaster published so far? We've published eight. So we've done the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've done the Book of Psalms, the Book of Proverbs, the Book of Romans, and we recently uh, just launched the Book of Genesis. And how long does it take from beginning? I, I read about four months from beginning to finished product. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's it's a long process. So... Um, I think, uh, you know, when people see our products, um, it's a really beautiful and excellent product. And, uh, people think we have these, like a large team, a large studio. Um, but it's, it's really just a team of five working hard, trying to get it done. And so, um, I would say four months is, is on average how long it takes to produce one book of the Bible. Um, I think it just depends um, on the complexity of each book. Uh, so, for example, the, the book of Genesis, which was just released, that took us a lot longer. That took us about six months uh, because there was just so much in the text that we were just trying to navigate how to communicate that in a visual way uh, versus in the book of Psalms, the book of poetry. And um, it was just a little easier to come up with imagery in a book of poetry. Um, so yeah, it takes us on average four months. Um, and it's something that we're hoping to get faster at as we grow. Um, a lot of people ask us whether or not we've, we hope to do all 66 books in the Bible. And we're like, that's, that's the hope. I don't know if we're going to get there, but that's the hope. Well, and, and hope and faith, right? I, I, yeah. I think you, you mentioned something earlier that's very important and that I noticed with a lot of people who come up with ideas, including myself, when I started the world is just a book away the book. I didn't yeah. know what I was doing and, and I thought it would take me a year. It took me 15 years. <laughs> and you mentioned, um, that you didn't know what you were doing. And I think that's a really important, I think that's a really important message for people to hear because I think a lot of people operate under the misperception that people who start something or are entrepreneurs or launch something, they've got it all figured out before they start. Yep. And I'm, I'm, uh, deriving from what you said that you clearly did not have it all figured out before you start. 
we did not know anything. Yeah. I think that's... <laughs> Do, do you find, Brian, this is what I find, because I also started uh, the charity, yep. which now has over around 100 libraries. And for 100,000 kids, I started to it to build one library. And what I've found is that you really don't know what you don't know mm -hmm. until you start. Is that what you found? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Like, I feel like every day I'm I'm discovering things that I don't know. So even as we were, you know, deciding to make the Bible, we like some obvious questions were, okay, where is it going to get printed? So that was like a big question to, to figure out. Some unobvious questions was, oh, um, how do we get a copy of the translation of the Bible? Like who owns that? Um, is it free? Um, does another company own it? Do we need to license it? Do we have to pay a royalty? Um, those are a lot of questions that we, we didn't know that we had to learn as we go. Um, and what's uh, the answer? What's the answer to that? Does who, who owns the copyright to the version that you used? Yeah. Um, it's a company called Tyndale. And so Tyndale is a publishing company, um, that owns, so we use the new living translation, which is a more modern English translation. Um, but there, if you think about all the English translations in the Bible, there are so many, mm -hmm. um, some are owned by a, a good majority of them are owned by Harper Collins. Um, and then there are also some free, like fair use, uh, versions like the King James version is, is free for people to use. Uh, but that was just a whole different space that we had no idea like what to do. Uh, and so you, you have to pay royalties to the, to the people who own the version that you've yeah. used. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, now I read, uh, in one of the articles I was reading, you, your sales were about uh, over 300,000 last year. Yes. Right. And what are you expecting for this year? We're shooting for a million. <laughs> wow. We'll see if that happens. We'll see if that happens that we're, we're currently on track to, um, but you never know. I, I, I like to be optimistic, but at the same time, like as we, as we think about our budgets and our, and our numbers, we try to stay on the more conservative end. Um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of what we're sh shooting for and aiming for. Um, uh, just a little sort of backstory behind that. In 2018, um, we were having a launch party for the Book of Psalms. Uh, first time ever having a launch party for for us. And uh, we held it at a cafe in Los Angeles. And uh, we thought, let's just invite our friends um, and just make an open invite. So anyone can come, but mostly it's our friends. And we're having this event and in comes a group of, so, you know, I'm, 31. Uh, most of my friends are around that age group, plus or minus five years. And um, in comes um, a handful of older folks who could be my parents' age. And uh, I had no idea who they were. At the end of the night, they, one of them buys out everything. And so one, I'm like, oh, I made money for the night. I didn't expect that. Um, but the next day I get a... Uh, an email saying, or an email from someone that knows him saying that he wants to meet up with us. Um, we end up meeting up with him and uh, find out that he used to work in venture capital. Uh, right now he owns a company of his own. He is currently also a student at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. And, um, and really 
while he was there, uh, was really captured by the vision that we have with Alabaster. And uh, one of the things that he said that I will never forget, uh, he was asking our sales numbers. And we're like, oh, yeah, like we made, you know, this, this amount this past year. And he's like, oh, so you're just a hobby. And I'm like, oh, like I was, I was personally crushed a little bit. Um, but he said that it was a more like, hey, like I want to help coach and encourage you to get to the $2 million step point because I think that's where you actually become a sustainable business. And um, I think for us, so eventually he ended up becoming an investor in our company and also a good mentor for us. Um, and so he's been guiding us along the way, uh, connecting us with people to really, uh, get our products out to folks. And so, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been really fun learning a lot. Uh, but, um, yeah, I don't think we would have gotten to the million without his encouragement and push. So that's amazing, Brian. And w what surprised you most about this journey? Uh, how many mistakes I would make. <laughs> I mean, do, have you felt that as, as you, as you were publishing just all the, the mistakes along the way? Oh, the, the publishing, fortunately I was with USC libraries press and I had four librarians working on the book. Okay. So that, that was, I mean, that was really a godsend. Yeah. The, the charity, uh, I don't think I've been surprised by how many mistakes I've made. It's more that, Maybe it's more surprise at how the learning curve keeps going on. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in 2017, that's when we first shipped out our product. And uh, after like two weeks of shipping it out, like all our customers have it. A couple of my friends contact me and they say, Brian, I think there's a mistake in one of your books. And I'm like, oh no, like, what's the mistake? Um, they're like, there are a couple pages where you have Bible verses that are missing. And I'm like freaking out because we just shipped everything out. And so we pull out the book, we check it. It indeed have, has Bible verses that are missing. And um, we had this question, you know, should we tell people should like, why did this happen? Uh, who's going to pay for the cost? Uh, should we reprint and resend or only resend for people who, who notice it? Um, ultimately what we decided to do was yes, definitely reprint, notify our customers and resend everything out. Um, but it was, you know, it was the InDesign, which is the, the file that we submit the, the, the book in, um, has some errors. And so like, I thought that was going to be one of the biggest mistakes that we've ever made, but I think along the way, just more and more, um, I would say probably another surprise along the way has been, um, yeah, I think just the reception of it. So, uh, I think originally, you know, I was creating a product that I thought that I would just enjoy as someone that, um, didn't grow up Christian um, to create a product that uh, would make Bible reading more enjoyable, um, uh, more beautiful. And um, to see the reception has been amazing. Um, and I think for, um, I think for me, like, so, um, my, you know, my parents aren't Christian at all. And uh, before working with Alabaster, I was doing Christian nonprofit 
like work. And um, I don't think they ever really understood or got what I was doing, but to, to see them be just open and receptive to my business and what I'm doing, even though we are of different religions, um, has been really cool to see. Uh, for them to be excited about my work has been, I think, one of the biggest surprises. Mm. And I, did you grow up a, a reader? Did you grow up around books? Uh, yeah, I, I, my parents had this rule for me for every one minute of book reading that I had to, that I was given one, one minute of watching TV. <laughs> and so, um, I was, I was a reader of book, reader of books, uh, initially by forced by my parents. Um, but I think towards, I think middle school was when I was, I started to really get captivated by, by nonfiction books. I think I read the, the, uh, gosh, it was about the world being flat. Um, and, uh, I would say, uh, currently right now I'm more of a listener than a reader. Like I like listening to audiobooks. I like listening to podcasts. Um, but I've really been really fascinated by a lot of the, the nonfiction books out there right now. And can you think of a book that you've read that in the past, or is there a book that stands out that really inspired you? Yeah. I mean, um, a, there's one key book that, that has inspired me as I, how, how I think about my life, but also like how we do alabaster is there's this book called real life, uh, by this author named James Chong. And in the book, he talks about how each, uh, generation asks a spiritual question. Um, and so in those past, those questions have been, what is, what is true? Um, uh, what is real? Um, he says that right now we're in a generation asking the question, um, what is good? And, uh, he later on predicts that, um, future generations will ask the question, what is beautiful? And I think I read that book in 2014 ish around there. Um, and I just felt that was just, I just felt like that was already very true. Um, I think the question of what is beautiful, um, I just found already like myself asking that question, um, we're currently living in a very visual culture. And so, um, I found myself, you know, judging websites by, sorry, judging companies by how their website looked. And, uh, I think as we, I started sort of dwelling on that question, um, I think that that is how Alabaster was birthed was, um, trying to show the world is the story of Jesus beautiful. And, um, if by putting it into a beautiful reading experience, would, would that be able to show the world that a little, a little more? So, um, yeah, that's, that's been a book that has really impacted me because, well, now I'm writing <laughs> this, uh, Bible cup, creating beautiful Bibles. Uh, but I think, uh, personally it has asked, helped me ask the question like, um, Am I doing things that are good and beautiful for the world personally as I uh, interact with my neighbors, as I, if I interact with the people around me? Am I, um, am I doing good things for them? Am I doing good, beautiful things for them? So, yeah, that would be the book. 
And, and clearly this word beautiful has deep meaning for you because in one of the things I was reading in one of the articles, and I didn't know this, you, you referred to break the breaking of the alabaster jar in the Bible. And apparently shortly thereafter, Jesus used the word beautiful, mm-hmm. which is the only time he uses it in the Bible. Yep. That's the only time in the gospels, uh, that he, he says, uh, he calls something as beautiful. Um, and so, um, yeah, in that, in that story, like everyone around Jesus and this woman who sort of breaks this alabaster flask, um, are sort of scolding her and, and, uh, Jesus is something that was really just surprising, which is like, no, what she's doing is really like, it's a beautiful thing. Um, what she did was, uh, she took something of extreme value, um, which was this alabaster flask, which was typically used as a dowry and, and broke it as sort of to show her, uh, Thanksgiving to, to Jesus. Um, and so sort of that, that sacrificial nature, um, was a beautiful thing. And that's, and that's the Genesis. That's the origin of the, of Alabaster and Co. Mm -hmm. Alabaster Co. Sorry. Yep. Yep. And how people who are interested in learning more and, uh, possibly buying some of these books, where, where, where do we direct them? Uh, yeah, you could go online to our website at alabasterco.com. Um, we're also on Amazon. You can just search Alabaster Bible and there we're there we are at. Okay. And a final question, Brian, for anyone listening who has an idea, but the idea might seem impossible or they might feel like they don't know what they're doing. What words of advice would you give them? Just do it (laughs) a little simple, but I think, um, I've through the process of Alabaster, there've been a lot of people who've come up to me with a lot of different ideas. And I think what, um, some people just like sitting in their ideas, thinking about it, researching it versus actually executing it. And, um, I think the people that actually execute it, whether or not it succeeds, will learn something from it. Um, and so, yeah, just do it. Brian Chung, it's been an honor to have you today on my podcast 10 years after you were in my class. Yes. And I look forward to following where the journey of Alabaster Co. and Brian Chung and Brian Yi Chung will go in the future. Thank you for having me. This was super fun. 